Welcome to the Monday Morning Message, a podcast of Grace Community Church. My name is Jared Cooper. And on the Monday Morning Message, not the podcast, we discuss the biblical implications and life issues that come out of our study of God's Word. And uh, I am with our pastor, who we discuss these things with, Pastor Paul Shirley. How you doing, brother? I'm here, as always, with you on the Monday morning podcast last podcast, message. Last message. You kind of got fumbled on your, uh, your little script there a little bit. Yeah, I wasn't reading the script. That's You're complacent. Why. You've been doing it so long that now you thought you could do it without yeah, the script. Just and... roll in. Anyway, we're here. Yeah, man. So, uh, been grateful for the study through Galatians. We're we're nearing the end of it. How's it How's it feel to get to an end of a book? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna miss Galatians. We've been in Galatians for a little while now, and we're just about to finish up chapter six. And uh, so there's always this kind of strange thing. It's a little bit, um, it weighs on you a little bit because you know you got to get into the next book. And it takes a lot of work to kind of get into the rhythm of the next book. A lot of background reading, uh, trying to figure out uh, how to break up the sections and work through it. I mean, Galatians I'm pretty comfortable with after, you know, a couple years now. And uh, got- right, So you get the theme of the book, you get where the book's going, you're trying to, you're trying to continue and dive through those things. And you work. Three weeks ahead, right? You have two sermons ready to go, or, or you have one ready. One week ahead, basically, is what I'm trying to do: is 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 have have the exegesis and have the basic outline of the passage done one week before I have to preach it. So on the Friday, on Friday, I'm finishing up the sermon for not that Sunday, but for the following Sunday, and then I come back on Saturdays and work for the next day to just kind of freshen that up and, and make sure I'm ready to go on that. And that just gives me the opportunity to think through the implications of a passage a little bit more, apply it to my own heart. I mean, that's something that's really important to me. I don't want to I don't want to get up to God, before God's people and try to shepherd them through a text that I haven't been applying to my own heart. And that's something that weighed on me uh, early in ministry, and that's why I decided I'm going to try to, as best I can, work about a week ahead, about five days ahead, so that I'm able to just kind of have these things in my heart, meditate on them, think through them before I have to preach uh, to God's people. And usually what that means is I get up early on Saturday morning and I've got a lot of edits to make on that sermon that that I've been tinkering with a little bit. And uh, there's a lot of revision that has to happen, especially on the implicational level, thinking through it in terms of how does it apply to my heart and what does this then require of me? That's we, we talk about implications a lot. That's really, what does it require of me? What's it mean? And then the implications are, what does this require from me? What does it require for me to believe, to think, to do? And uh, that's part of the reason why I work uh, a little bit ahead that way. And not only that, I think, you know, you were talking about bringing out those implications. That's why it's so convicting at times when we hear stuff that, you know, comes from the pulpit. I know it's not just you. I, you know, that's a that's the way faithful pastors have been doing it for years. But as they're thinking through implications in their own life, when you hear something from on Sunday morning that hits you hard from an implication standpoint, it's because you're dealing with the same sins right. and struggles right. that we're dealing with. And you're like, look, this is in my kitchen. You know, yep. Here's how you should be applying it to your life. Yeah, I want to I want to be living with it as long as possible. Uh, I mean, the realities of life mean that I can't. I can't spend eight weeks thinking about every passage before I preach it. I mean, I've got it. Sunday's always coming and, and I've got two ex- expositions a week to do. And so you got to do it. But I've tried to develop a pattern that allows me to kind of get done with the interpreting exegesis part of the sermon preparation as early as possible. 
And that way I've got a little bit of time to think through it. And by the way, that helps me as I'm moving from text to text as well, because uh, the more I work ahead, the easier it is for me to understand the flow of the context as I move from passage to passage. And that's part of the reason why it's so hard to move to a, another book. Uh, we're going to be moving on Sunday mornings from the book of Galatians to the gospel of John. I just, I just bought a, a bunch of commentaries today, actually, for the gospel of John. And uh, basically, I just have a lot of reading to do, a lot of background reading, the introductions, the commentaries that everybody always skips and goes straight to the the explanation of the individual verses. I'm going to read all that on the background material and and different things like that to try and orient myself around the logic that the Apostle John is uh, conveying as he writes the Gospel of John. Uh, so that's kind of what makes the transition a little foreboding, if you will, because Galatians, I, I've got the rhythm of that down. I'm tracking with the Apostle Paul, uh, but now that we're about to transition to the Gospel of John, I've got to I've got to try to figure out okay where am I going to find the time to do all this study to make sure I'm tracking with uh, John as well because I don't want to just kind of discover how the Gospel of John works as we go in order to properly interpret the first chapter. I have to understand how it fits within the whole book. I have to understand the context of it. So, you know, that's part of the process uh, of of how you're trying to think through book studies uh, to make sure that, listen, when, when we study text on Sunday mornings, we often do small chunks because there's so much truth there and there's so many implications that we do small chunks. But those small passages that we examine together have to be interpreted in light of the larger context or else you're going to take it out of context. So the last thing I want to do is go in and, and publicly interpret John, for instance, chapter 2, which that's what preaching is, public interpretation. The last thing I want to do is, is go before God's people, interpret it, and then get to John chapters 3 and 4 and realize, oh, actually, that's not really what chapter 2 was all about. And and last thing I want to do is I have to go backwards and, and re-preach something that I've already preached. So, uh, you know, in the weeks leading up to a new book, I'll spend a lot of time just reading the book in my English Bible as much as possible. And then uh, I'll transition from reading through the book as much as possible to um, the whole book. The whole book. Yeah. Trying to so read. not just the text you're preaching, you're. Right. You're working through the whole book. So I'm trying to read through the Gospel of John as many times as possible before I get into the week-by-week -week exposition of it. And then I'll transition just from reading it over and over, making my own observations about it. I'll transition from that to reading the Gospel of John over and over again to also reading a bunch of background material, the introductory material, the you know all that stuff that you can read in a page and a half in your study Bible, for instance. I'm just going to do a lot of background reading on that, uh, you know, uh, and there's just a lot to try to do. And, and the reason for that is you don't want to go into it blind. you got to have a roadmap as you're going in there, which means you have to do some study of the entire um, book so that you can understand its parts. Otherwise, your, your, your implications won't really fit with where the Apostle John or whoever the author is, is emphasizing specific truths. And you'll be taking things out of context. And, and what will happen is you'll just go to a specific text and you'll just notice some doctrine that's there and then you'll 
focus in and preach on that doctrine, but not really preach on that text uh, because you don't understand how it fits within the whole context of the book. For example, Galatians chapter 6, the, the key word in Galatians chapter 6 for us in our study has been the word together. This is, this is Paul talking about our body life, specifically in the context of chapter 5, here's how the Spirit frees you up to live the Christian life together with God's people. And so you recognize in the context that if you want to walk by the Spirit, it means this is what your body life, your church life should look like. Well, if you just fly into Galatians chapter 6 and only look at Galatians chapter 6, you're not going to see the emphasis on the Holy Spirit there. However, when you interpret it in light of the context of Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, all of a sudden you realize, oh, wait a minute, this is the Spirit's fruit in a corporate context in the life of the church. So that's where that context comes into play and is, and is so important. And you're trying to figure all that out as much as you can at a high level before you jump into an exposition of a book. So you find yourself in the beginning, in the front half of your study, spending a lot more time than you normally would because you're already kind of figured those things out. So so when you're trans, I'm talking about specifically when you transition. So you're spending a lot more time study wise, just trying to, Oh yeah. Trying to, trying to figure out where, cause you've been in, you've been going through the epistles too with, with right. the apostle Paul for quite some time as well. Right. Yeah, yeah, we've we've done it in our church first, second Thessalonians, and then so the, even the even the writing stuff. Well, that's the thing the 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 style, the Greek grammar. You know, when you're working with the original languages, the different theological emphases that each apostle brings uh, to their writing. Yeah, those are things that whenever you're doing a study of the book, the first half of the book is always harder than the second half of the book, just because you're trying to get in that rhythm with it. So yeah, by the time we got to, for instance, in our study of Galatians. By, by the time we got to chapter four, the sermon preparation process was a, was not, it's never easy, but it was a lot simpler because the the logic of the argument is there. I mean, when, when anybody sits down to write something uh, something down, they're communicating something, they're arguing for something, they're making some kind of point. And if you can get that point and also kind of intuitively understand how they are getting to that point— it makes it a lot easier to bring those things out, those nuances of the text. And so, yeah, I mean, the first half of any book I preach, it, to me, it, it's more challenging because I'm trying to figure out how does, how does this book say these things? How does the Greek grammar, the style is always a little bit different as you're trying to read through and translate and exegete that. Uh, I'm trying to get in a rhythm of that. And then also there's just a lot of background reading that I want to, I want to know who was John writing to, what was the context, you know, what was the time frame, why this gospel on top of the other synoptic gospels. And thankfully I know a lot of the answers to a lot of the questions I have just based on my training, previous study, you know, the stuff that they make you do in seminary and ordination, that's all helpful, but you got to get in there and kind of get your hands dirty and uh, get in the flow of a passage uh, whenever you get into a new book, that's kind of, I don't, I don't want to give away all of my trade secrets, but that's kind of the reason why I always do what I call a bumper series. So when I get done with a, a series from a book like Galatians, I'll do, you know, two or three weeks 
in a series, either in an individual text or on a subject. Uh, you know, we've done some bumper series on sanctification and God's sovereignty and philosophy of ministry, things that I know either I've preached them before and I can just, uh, you know, freshen up my notes and preach them again um, or something like that. I, I've, I've often done that, frankly, because I, I don't have enough hours in the day to do all the reading I want to do on the next book that we're going to get into. And uh, so, so I'll, I'll usually try to work with the elders and figure out, okay, what would be a good little bumper series for us to do? He, and I'll give the elders a list. Here are some things I've studied. Here's some things that would be a little bit easier for me. You know, I'd have to do some work and pray through it. Obviously you never, you know, you never mail it in obviously, but it's a little less time consuming so that I can split my sermon preparation time to do that series. Like for instance, we, I think we're going to, once we get done with Galatians, we're going to do a little bumper series on on what elders do in the Man, church. We're just giving it all away now. I'm I giving mean. it away, <laughs> um, and that's some material that I've 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 worked and thought through because I am an elder. I've had to work through that in my own life, so it's not quite as time consuming. So that you know, about half of that sermon preparation time over those three weeks, I can devote to reading as much as possible on the Gospel of John, so that when we get to John chapter one, I'm kind of I'm kind of loaded and ready to go. The Spirit's been able to work on me with John. That's why I'm reading through the Gospel of John as many times as possible in the English text. And then I've got the background and historical detail from, you know, the list of commentaries that I'm reading through. Yeah, and I, listen, we've we benefited from those bumper series. Whether you, whether, you know, people think you're photoing or not, I mean, those are studies that you've spent time on. And I'm super grateful for those. I mean, has any of that turned into a book or any of our little booklets? Yeah, that's that's right. right. Several so, of those are books that. Uh, which one? You know, I forget which one specific. I know the family one, right? Well, yeah, the book, the Christian Home. Yeah, we we did that as a little series on the Christian family, and uh, and then that's where that book came from. Uh, and then the book Expository Sanctification was my uh my doctoral dissertation which i also did that as a little bumper series in between expositions and uh, that became a book as well uh and then a lot of the material from the book that i wrote with uh, jerry rag free to be holy uh that was um uh, that was i used a lot of that material as well to do a series on assurance in between two different books as well so i'm always trying to think through what would be most What's a subject that hasn't come up in the text recently that we as a church would benefit from studying together? And then can I go there to those texts that speak to that and put together some some helpful reminders, some helpful information for our folks on those subjects? That's what I'm trying to think through. Something that'll save me a little bit of time, but something that will still be impactful. So maybe I've written on it before, so it saves me a little bit of time. But then it's also timely for where our church at, is at in the moment. So you pray for not a whole lot of counseling appointments as you transition on book time. Well, yeah, between books. Yeah, <laughs> I'm always I am always eager to meet with God's people, Jerry. <laughs> always. Not what I meant, bro. But yes, <laughs> yes. So uh, to transition on that, I mean, as we're we're talking about your ministry and how you think through things, I mean, uh, really, I mean. You may not say this about yourself, but I'm going to say it about you. You know, you're showing your faithfulness, and I'm grateful for how faithful you are to the text. I know that you spend hours and hours and hours, a full work week, as you study through these things. So, we benefit from that every Sunday, and I know that you're actually going to begin 
this Sunday. Again, we're, we're a week ahead, but you're going to be preaching on faithfulness, right? So how have you been thinking through faithfulness from Galatians in the last, uh, last couple of weeks? Yeah, in uh, Galatians 6.16, it talks about those who walk by this rule, which is just kind of another way for the Apostle Paul to talk about faithfulness, walking by this rule. To, to walk is the way you order your life in this text, and the rule there is the truth of the gospel. Paul's essentially saying, listen, if, if you're faithful to these things, then peace and mercy be upon you. And he's emphasizing there the need for faithfulness and what's so interesting here is is not just faithfulness in our own life as individuals, but collectively for us to be faithful as God's people, faithful as a congregation. That's what Paul's driving at here. And 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 certainly that is close to my heart because that's what I'm driving at as well. Um, many years ago, uh, one of one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of Kent Hughes, R. Kent Hughes. Um, he's written a number of very helpful devotional commentaries and, and several other helpful books that you would benefit from. But, but the one that made the most impact on me was a book titled uh, Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. And, and the whole idea of the book is that you, whatever your ministry is, whether you're a pastor, or whether you just have a ministry in the church somewhere, or your ministry as a parent, your ministry as a spouse, your ministry in evangelism, if if you evaluate your ministry based on the results and a worldly view of success, uh, you're doing it wrong and you're going to drive yourself crazy. Uh, the whole point of this wonderful book by Kent Hughes is that our success is evaluated by the by the simple metric of faithfulness. Are we faithful? And and that's just a really important concept for us to have in our minds as we think about uh, Galatians six, of course, but also life in our church. So when you define faithfulness, because I know you're a big definition guy, how would you define you know how would you define faithfulness from a biblical perspective? Because I know. We've asked for, you know, I'll ask for faithfulness. You know, I know other folks have been, hey, how can I pray for you? Just pray that I'd be faithful in, in these specific areas. So how do how should we think through faithfulness? Yeah, I mean, a lot could be said about that. You're being faithful to the Lord if you're thinking his thoughts after him, if you're believing what he reveals and you're doing what he commands. Um, in this particular passage, Galatians 6.16, it talks about those who walk by this rule and the interesting thing is there, the, the Greek word translated walk is not the normal word for walk. Um, it, it basically means those who order their lives in this way, those uh, who, whose lives are, are ordered according to the truth of God's word. That's faithfulness, a life that is ordered according to the principles and priorities of God's word. You want to boil it down even simpler? What we're going to be evaluated on in the final judgment is we're going to be asked, did you do, did you believe and did you do what I said? That's it. That's faithfulness. And in the, and in the midst of where we're at, I mean, you know, as we look around our culture, we recognize faithfulness is a, is something that's going to be of high priority for believers. And it's something I think we're seeing in some churches, you know, we're seeing guys who are faithful, who are proclaiming the truth, who are committed even in the midst of COVID to, to meet even, which is now a, a challenge, right? Um, you know, if if we're faithful, we're seeing the Lord bless in some of those things as well. 
I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for these churches that are, that are noticing because we just went to conference uh, in Florida with the guys from JIBC yep. and um, have been grateful for, for some of the word that came out of there where guys are, you know, they're faithful to the truth. They're faithful meeting with their congregation committed uh, and, and they're seeing the fruit of that. Yeah. I mean, the, the Lord's blessing that. And sometimes the blessing looks different because in our church and in a lot of other churches like ours. Yeah. That's a good point. I gotta be careful there. Yeah. Yeah. So in our church and a lot of churches like ours that, what that looks like is, is, frankly, more people are coming. We've had the opportunity to minister to more people because we've sought to faithfully meet in the midst of all this. In other contexts, it'll look a little different. Uh, we think we're just talking about uh, our brother, James Coates, a fellow master seminary graduate up in Edmonton, who is currently in jail for keeping his church open and uh, preaching uh, against. Uh, he, he They opened their church uh, d- despite uh, government regulations, which would have prevented their entire church from meeting. And uh, I think at the very least, you can look at that situation and say, this guy's not doing it to get something for himself. He's doing it out of conviction. He's doing it out of biblical principle, and he's seeking to be faithful to the Lord. And one of the things that's frustrated me about that whole situation is, yeah, there's a lot of details I don't understand because I don't understand. I don't understand the regulations here in Delaware and and how that works and i've had to think through that but i don't know how it works up there and, and what they're doing in canada and, and in edmonton and and there there are a lot of believers who are criticizing james coates and and grace life church for for how they're doing this and you know what if you want to disagree with the specifics of how they've done it or why didn't you just do this and then you could have stayed open or done this and look those are kind of some intramural conversations you have amongst teammates you don't air those things out on the internet and and, and you know what you do you pray for a brother who is in jail uh, you 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 as as Jesus commanded you you think of the brother in prison as if you are with him in prison and you pray for him and look in your context if if, if you feel like you've got to live these things out differently to be faithful to the Lord that that's fine uh, work those things out in your conscience and live out your convictions. But at the very least, we can say two things about the situation uh, with James Coates up in Edmonton. One, the government there has far overreached any authority that God has delegated to the civil authority, far overreached. I mean, this church has been meeting since June, and there hasn't been one single case of COVID that's traced back to that church. Not a single case. And and just to be clear, too, like, I know, I don't, you know, listen, I'm not the authority on the uh, Canadian right. rights. <laughs> right. But there is not, not just like ours, because we have a much, much stiffer constitution from, from a worldly perspective, but they have the constitution where they should have free speech. And it's, it's also interesting that no other companies or businesses have been shut down as a result of their meeting right. or gathering. And look, you could you could you could quibble over this or that or whether it's safe or whether it's not safe, but I, I think as I understand it, only fifteen percent of the church is allowed to be there. And if fifteen percent of a lot a church is not allowed to be there or is only allowed to be there, then the whole church can't meet. And you could say, well you could meet in, you know, phases and have different services. You know, you're gonna have what, ten services? You know, eight services? And then is that really any safer to have people traipsing in and out, you know, every hour? And then it's like, oh, well, you could do it on a different day. Well, what if you got convictions about the Lord's day? Or what about your ecclesiology that if the whole church isn't there, you don't have the whole church, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
So there are significant issues. Yeah, because then you're basically your Zoom meeting at some point, right? I mean, exactly. At some point, and it's that, the equivalent to a Zoom meeting. Exactly, and that's that's a pretty weak ecclesiology. So, uh, one of the things that's been frustrating me is to see these guys posting online saying, "Well, they follow the fire code, but they won't follow COVID regulations," and that's hypocritical. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That <laughs> that's really is that the people who are saying that obviously haven't done much thinking or much leading before because. There's a big difference between the government saying you can't meet in this building and the government saying you can't meet. Those are two totally different things. So so you can quibble over how Grace Life did it, or you could say, you know what, if the Lord gave me a position of authority in my local congregation, I might do it differently. Fine. No problem. Those are things that we can discuss as brothers and sisters. But for now, th- this brother was living out his convictions seeking to honor the Lord, minister to the church. Not a single person has contracted COVID from their church services, and he's been thrown in prison. He can't be with his family. At the very least, we should all be lamenting the overreach of government. And at the same time, even if we disagree over some of the details, fine, but we should still be thankful that there are men out there, specifically James, who is seeking to be faithful to the Lord even if that costs him. And so I, I'm thankful for my brother. I'm praying for his wife, Aaron, and, and his sons, uh, praying for their comfort. Uh, as I understand it, I don't know a lot of the details of it, uh, but as I understand it, this could be kind of a prolonged process where they're separated from, from husband and father. So I'm certainly praying for them. Uh, but the point is, Here's well, you the deal. did say they were able to get his Bible to him too, right? Yeah, he was able to bring his Bible in, which is a grace from the Lord. Um, but back, kind of back full circle to my original point, for for James, you can't look at his ministry and say, man, he's a failure because he got thrown in jail. No, you measure his ministry by faithfulness. You can't look at our ministry and say, you know what? Through all this COVID thing, you guys added more members to your church, so you guys must be a success. Nope. We will be judged by whether or not we're faithful, which is so liberating to use the language of Kent Hughes. I mean, think about your parenting and your kids. You pour your life in your kids, and you know you're never going to be a perfect parent. And you cannot control what your children do now or what they will grow up and do. Uh, and, And it can be maddening when we try to control those things or when we try to be perfect parents. It's so freeing to just recognize all that the Lord asks us to do is be faithful, be faithful to our kids, not perfect. He sent Christ to be perfect for our kids. And it's between our kids and the Lord, whether or not they believe in Christ's perfection. But for our part, our job is to be faithful. And, and if your kids reject the Lord or the kid, your kids reject you, if you can look back and say, you know, I know I wasn't perfect, but I was faithful to them. You can take comfort in that, even as you pray for your children to, to repent. And, and, and that gives that gives a lot of moms out there who have soccer mom guilt that that alleviates that guilt and shows them their parent parenting is not trying about trying to alleviate your guilt. It's just about trying to be faithful to the Lord and your kids. So stop worrying about these feelings of guilt you have. Just be faithful the best you can. Honor the Lord the best you can. Love your kids the best you can and trust God with the rest. And that's really whether it's pastoral ministry, being a mom, being a dad whatever it might be, Sunday school teacher, to just know, you know what, my job's to be faithful. 
and then to trust the Lord with the results. Well, looking forward to hearing from you on this on Sunday morning and also Genesis on Sunday night. I mean, that's a whole nother thing we didn't even talk about how you study in James oh. or how you study in. You're in James. Yeah, but how do you study in, in Genesis and you study through, you know, a new book in John? So uh, grateful for you, bro, and, and looking forward to some of that. So Appreciate it, Jared. All right, brother.